I'm sorry I said it like that. And I'm like, oh, but you did say it like that. And what did you mean? And they're like, I, I, I think people are like, I don't really even know what I mean. I'm like, but you said it. You said it. You know, <laughs> Which is funny because it's, it's true and that's rare that that happens, but it is a thing that happens. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to No Small Thing, the podcast dedicated to helping you live a less certain, more curious life. I'm Scott. And I'm Mace. Welcome to this week's episode where we're going to be talking about the topic is, we're jumping off of the topic over (laughs) (laughs) over interpretation. (laughs) What a lead up where we will be talking about thinking about saying and the topic is coming. Wait for the announcement. Uh, we will be saying something about it. And here comes the description. <laughs> I think ready, I was, I set. Was, I was, it's coming. We will. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was trying to leave it spacious as like this isn't the topic. Oh, okay. The sense of, one, of, one of many things we'll be talking about today we, is. Did you even say it? <laughs> over interpretation. Yeah. That's the over interpreting. We just demonstrated how thing. to over interpret an intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we're here to help people live a less certain, more curious life, and it's nice when we come up with some ideas or tools, or we encounter a tool to help you be more curious. To help us be more curious. A concept, a word, an idea. Overinterpretation is something that has started to rise. Mace, for no small thing, created a a piece of art that was just uh, by itself a thing and then became our logo. It's true. And I call it the rainbow moon. The rainbow moon. You can call it whatever you want. It's a circle with colors. It's our logo. And I still, to this day, imagine it like being being in a an evening sky and all of a sudden a giant rainbow moon starts to emerge <laughs> and our eyes get huge and we all go <gasps> and we're captivated and it's got all these different layers and and we just start thinking and wondering <laughs> and i think this over interpretation has been like that it's I like i want to oh. make that i can picture what the scene you just painted and i now have like a painting idea that's a good like over interpretation has started to rise up <laughs> and come out from the galaxy and we're looking at it and it, and we can't now it's, it's bright. I feel like it was mostly you. And then now it's made its way into me, but we, you read something. Well, I'm going to read it in a second too. Perfect. Read it. But, um, we're also going to toy around with some things today. We're going to be a little less certain, more curious about formats and yes, podcasts. Yes. And we are going to try some segments and this is be like throw paint at the wall. We don't know if these segments will stick. And uh, if you are listening and enjoy a segment that we try today, let us know. And we'll try that segment again. Or if you have another idea for a segment, let us know. Is we're anybody listening? <laughs> <laughs> Who are we talking to? <laughs> Sometimes we're like playing podcasts. I'm like, but that's I know we point. have listeners. We are playing we're... podcasts. So let don't us know. know. But should we tell them what the segments are going to be? Or give, them a, give them a little heads up. Uh, heads up. One of them will be spin the color wheel. Spin the uh, color wheel, but we already chose the color for today. Yeah, I guess we maybe did. But in the future, it'll be spin, spin the, the color, color wheel. Today, there's a color that has been on Mace's mind that just needs to be talked about. I think, so it's I not think, spin the color wheel today. But that will be a new segment, spin the color wheel, when we talk about yeah. that color. And then the other one is, um, who was born this day? 
who's born this day. And we just look it up and, and we see who was born this day. And we're curious about And use that. it as a prompt to see where our conversation could go. The whole idea thing. is free associating. Yeah. The whole thing. And, and we're going to try to spend about 30 minutes on the topic. I think in the early days of No Small Thing, we were so ambitious Mm-hmm. And we were going to give it like two hours and mm-hmm. we're going to deep dive and look at it from all different angles. And we could still do that format sometimes, but maybe just to give ourselves a little bit of a break and not go so hard in the paint as we so say hard sometimes. In the paint. Yeah. Because sometimes in this recording, it gets a little overwhelming to go so deep. It's true. You know? It's and true. I think if the idea was to present an idea or a concept and just let, the listener go drift away with that. Go for it. Like if, if you haven't heard of overinterpretation before, you don't need to hear us going two hours on it. Right. I think it's enough to then have your own kind of process with it. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to get right into it. Let's do it. Okay. So, um, I, I'm just going to unapologetically say that, Hey everybody, um, I'm Anne Mace uh, as we like this writer named Adam Phillips. And this has been a season of deep diving. Adam Phillips recommend he's written 25 books He's a child play therapist, psychoanalyst, writer, um, editor, uh, literary critic. Mm-hmm. Very interesting person. British. British. <laughs> How um, British is he? <laughs> and uh, a really, really cool, interesting person that I highly recommend. And this, this is from a book mm-hmm. called Unforbidden Pleasures mm-hmm. that I also highly recommend. Good book. And... Uh, in the season of like October, November, I got the audiobook for this and probably have listened to the audiobook six or seven or eight times. I mean, I was obsessed <laughs> with this content. And this is a section where he's talking about Freud writing about Hamlet. And he's talking about how Ham- Freud uses um, stories and metaphors like Oedipus or Hamlet to talk about psychoanalysis. And he's talking about how Freud is interpreting Hamlet and how Hamlet, the character over interprets. And so that's the context of what he's about to say, but you don't even really need to know that background, but I think what I'm about to read, you're going to get really excited about, but you just need to know a little backstory. Okay. So you can only understand anything that matters, dreams, neurotic symptoms, literature by over interpreting it, by seeing it from different aspects as the product of multiple impulses, Overinterpretation here means not settling for one interpretation, however apparently compelling it is. Indeed, the implication is, and here is Freud's ongoing suspicion or ambivalence about psychoanalysis, that the more persuasive, the more compelling, the more authoritative the interpretation is, the less credible it is or should be. Mm -hmm. The interpretation might be the violent attempt to presume to set a limit where no limit can be set. If one interpretation explained Hamlet, we wouldn't need Hamlet anymore. Hamlet as a play would have been murdered. Authority wants to place the world with itself. Overinterpretation means not being stopped in your tracks by what you are most persuaded by. It means assuming that to believe one interpretation is to radically misunderstand the object one is interpreting, and indeed interpretation itself. Tragic heroes always underinterpret are always emperors of one idea. And the tragic hero is always the enemy of what Freud calls and calls for over interpretation. All right. So what did you think of that reading? Okay. I had, um, free floating thoughts, free floating thoughts. Well, first I'm like, free floating thoughts. 
First this is there's an interesting piece of it because I'm like, okay, Adam Phillips, here we are. Okay, he's quoting Freud. Okay, I'm having my own. Okay, he's quoting Freud. What's the audience going to think about Freud starting to go into that place? Oh, of, why don't you just name it and and go for it? Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, it's interesting because I started to be like, oh man, okay, now he's quoting Hamlet, another white guy. Oh, what's, white guy. what's about to be said? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I get some diversity. In <laughs> and, then, and then I'm like. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get into like an anxious place of like what an audience is going to think. And then as you're starting to read, I'm like fascinating what the place I go to, that's my under interpretation. And I right. start, I'm like, oh, now I want to start to over interpret. Yeah. Like what else is going on here? Like there's, I started to feel annoyingly opened up by the reading to read, <laughs> like to be like, there's more than that interpretation. There's something meta about these episodes Mm-hmm. that the things are happening in real time as we talk. Um, uh, yes. A need for overinterpretation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A noticing of our sort of in, uh, inability to overinterpret. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, I know when I first heard the word, it was sort of like listening in my car to the audiobook, And I was like, I kept thinking of it naturally. My impulse was to think of overinterpreting as a bad thing. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wasn't even hearing it right. It sounds, it sounds bad. Like, yeah. Oh, you overinterpreted. You, you, you you're overdoing it. You overstepped. You over, like it was like, I, but he's presenting it in a way that's a different idea. Yeah. It's more of saying we have to be open to many interpretations. Yeah. Many Almost interpretation. Infinite. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we're pretty honest, at least for me, and I think you have this too, but like it is almost the opposite of what I was taught to do growing up in, in a Christian way, mm-hmm. in like a, in a religious Christian way where somehow for some reason we are looking for the quote unquote right interpretation. Yes. We have a Bible yes. passage yes. and, 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 and not, not a community merely looking for the right interpretation, but typically an authority figure telling you the right interpretation and saying there, there is no other way to see it. And actually seeing it another way is like a sin. Mm-hmm. You know, you, mm-hmm. you're bad mm-hmm. for not, you won't submit mm-hmm. to the authority. Well, it's and, so frustrating. Well, it's interesting too, because I, my imagination is that most people have this and they just have a different thing, such as the church as that authority, like this, uh, uh, interpretation because it's kind of a basic splitting thing. It's yeah. like we all probably, cause I'm like, okay, for me, it's maybe something like the church and it's also something like academics Yep, tells me there's a right way to think about things. Yeah. There's a, a right, you know, prestige that mm-hmm. emerges that that's some, an area that leads to potential under interpretation. And, and what's the opposite? Under interpretation. I think it's just like anything where if you're an academic, you know, it's like that meme where there's like a, a, a brain and then a brain kind of glowing and then it keeps getting bigger. And it's huh. like, you know, like this leveling up mind or whatever. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yo, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you learn academics, whatever that is, and you learn a topic, but, but it's just like if you learn scales and piano and something at some point, there's a certain level of mastery in the sense that now you start to create and are able to play with mm-hmm. the raw concepts. Mm-hmm. And some people like watching like someone like Paul McCartney from the Beatles, he says, I never even took music lessons. I just started creating. 
So you can bypass the whole project. It's not like you need academics to think and say things. Right, 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 right. Anybody can just go around talking. Right, right. (laughs) That's an interesting, that's interesting thought. Okay, as you were talking, I was having this question of why might overinterpreting feel scary? That's a great, that's a great question. Because I think there's a piece of it that feels scary. You and me are at a yin and yang in that. Yes. Because I think underinterpreting feels terrifying. Right. And it's been something I could trace back to early as my memories go. And I think overinterpreting, there's something that brings up scared feelings for me mm-hmm. and desire. It's mm-hmm. a combo. And I think that's, I was sitting here and I was wondering why I feel scared feelings. And I was like, I think it's ambivalence because the more you can overinterpret, the more whew, ambivalent something can become. If you underinterpret, something's a little more simple or at least perceivably mm. simple. Mm. Now we'd have to try to define ambivalence because I would say an overinterpretation is a sort of an acute engagement. It's saying like, I'm so interested in this that I'm going to look at it and let it captivate me and look at it from different angles. It's almost like the opposite of love is indifference or something. And I'm almost interpreting what you're saying as ambivalence, as indifference. No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. It's like, no, I think it's, it's tension. It's holding tension. the tension. It's like being able to hold the, like the possibility of many full things. Yeah. You know, so therefore it's, it's both ambivalence, but like, that's the beauty is if you can tolerate that ambivalence, then you're able to sit with many things. It's In Enneagram of, language, it seems like sometimes if, if it is whatever these things mean, social type and self-pres type, mm. you and me, self-pres Scott, social mace, um, there, there does seem to be, and I can fall into this too. I'm, I'm not, I'm not completely immune to this. Uh, a a sort of sifting through the sense of what the collective outside consciousness is saying Mm -hmm. and wanting to Mm -hmm. align yourself with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and again, I'm not immune to that, Mm -hmm. but you are more, I think I am that, but I'm coming to realize that I think I'm that in a way that's like random, like the things that matter are random, but then they are very, they matter. And I'm yeah. starting to see that they're I'm like, wait, these maybe are just kind of random. I, I want to say for me, uh, for, you know, letting ourselves wander free associating. We don't need to always give these disclaimers, by the way. But so someday we're just going to do it without having to tell ourselves and people we're free associating. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think I'm coming out of a certain militant devotion of some kind an unquestioning submission to the powers of what you might call something like social justice. And I would say I'm here for social justice, but we're coming out of a season where everything became so split. Like in, in the realm of quarantine and Donald Trump, it was so intense. And there are parts of me that emerged that almost feel so foreign to me now. I'm like, I was out here on Facebook really just taking stands mm-hmm. and I, I'm not, everybody should take a stand. I, I, there is right and wrong and good and bad and evil in the world. Like there are certain things that we should stand up for. Um, and uh, I think I was splitting. I was looking at everything as black and white and I was really shutting people down. I was like not leaving much room for discussion or nuance. And um, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't necessarily want to do that anymore. I want to be able to hold the tension. I want, I want, I want people to be able to present a thought without feeling like they're going to get shut down. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. want that. Yeah. That's what I want. No, I think, <laughs> I think I want that too. And I think that's interesting. You're naming that. Cause I do think there was a collective 
particular place we all were in at that Mm -hmm. time. Like thinking back three years ago is when it was like right now when we're recording it, it's about three years ago that quarantining started. Yeah. And that was an interesting, and I'm now just truly free associated. Like, uh, I think the pandemic experience of an outside enemy, like it really psychologically was so interesting. And yeah, I think there was also some, it, then it created yeah such a split because there was this physical wearing masks or not yeah. wearing masks. Yeah, and yeah. There was this way people could show something yeah. so visibly. Yeah. Gosh. And we really were out here judging. And we were just figuring out that piece. Like it was a new, a new piece. We knew people who were trying to do some online research and bypass what the so-called authorities were saying about COVID. Mm-hmm. And I still am a person that, you know, believes in masks and, and vaccinations, but there was just so much judgment and shutting down. If somebody said, well, I did this, I, 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 I read over here and we're like, Oh, you read, well, we're not doing that. We're just obeying mm-hmm. the authorities, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like, well, we could sit here casually and listen to somebody. We could talk about we could it. Talk about yeah. It. That's, that's an interesting thought. Yeah, it really did. It really, I mean, we're going for the top shelf topics here. I mean, top it, shelf topics, you know, we're going right for COVID okay, and quarantine. Well, and Trump okay. And, I have, I was having another question that I wanted to ask you cause you said this, your fear is under interpretation. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm curious, like, well, I mean, I mean, he says here, it's like, um, this is making me very nervous, but okay, sorry. <laughs> so sorry. I put my foot on near our, near our items. <laughs> um, Overinterpretations means not being stopped in your tracks by what you are most persuaded by. It means assuming that to believe one interpretation is to radically misunderstand the object one is interpreting. Um, and there's, uh, I don't know, there's a part in here where yes. he's essentially saying it's yes. it's authority that wants one interpretation. Yes. yes. So I think it has to do probably with my parents and church and, and yes. teachers and, and everybody's like, trying to limit your focus to this one way that they want you to see it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm like, I think the, for me, the threat is I'm not allowed to think for myself. And I don't know, like as I'm, as I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking there's a risk to me seeing it your way. I'm going to miss something Mm -hmm. and you're, you're going to miss out too. Like, um, I mean, it feels dangerous. It almost feels like I'm standing in the middle of traffic and cars are coming and somebody's like, look at me. And I'm like, but but, 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 wait, 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 wait. There's all sorts of things going on around here. And everybody's like, nope, nope, right here. Look at me snapping, snapping, snapping. For the under interpretation. That's how it feels. Here's how you need to look at it. You know? And I'm like, Mm -hmm. gosh. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know. It's like a threat of um, everybody. I I don't know. I feel like everybody's, Mm -hmm. everybody's being threatened. It's like, it's a giant threat. Like authority, what's the threat? I, I'm 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 tracking, but I want to hear more. Um, we're all um, at risk of not seeing what's real and seeing reality. You know, like we're not. Does that making sense? I think it is. I think it is. Keep going. I don't have any more to say. <laughs> Keep going. Go go go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not wanting to go more on that. I've said what I have to say on that topic. <laughs> we are all at risk of not being with the real because we're just only looking at one thing. We're missing all that's happening around us. Like we have one interpretation. Yeah. Is that the, that's the, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that makes so much sense. And I think that's true. Like I think in many ways, 
And I'm, I'm really having a curious thought around authority and also tying authority to like super ego. Yeah. So like authority as an external authority and then also how we've internalized that. Mm-hmm. And we have that authority in our own minds mm-hmm. that is like, I don't know, like this is an interesting area of the Enneagram where it's like, oh, ones have an inner critic. Yeah. And sure, but that's a great inner critic. What a great language mm-hmm. for something like the superego, something like this authority. Right, that's right. also your internal thing. Because I'm like, okay, I'm now I'm tracking with your picture more. And it is, I think in my own mind, sometimes it's like, uh, I know all this stuff is happening, but there's like somebody in my ear that's like, you got to look here, you got to look here, you right, got to look right, here, right, you know? Right. And it's like, can you just chill out? Cause I'm aware this other stuff is here. And I'm like, I feel like I'm, I'm in this place where I'm like coming to see that there's all this stuff happening. And this voice is still next to me saying to look in this one place. And I'm trying, I'm like navigating the like, yeah. okay, I'll look at you, but I see there's other things, but then there's like, but look here again, you know, it's, yeah. it's interesting. <laughs> I, 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 I looked over here and I did see that other thing, but I'm getting back to the main, the real, <laughs> this loud voice. You know, like, but I don't, but I feel like I now am like, I don't think that's real, but it feels energetically like I need to give it something. Yeah. It's, it's, there's a, I, I'm, I feel like sometimes I have like a cognitive split with my like bodily feelings mm-hmm. about something. And that's like attention to that. It brings up to keep me. going, keep going, <laughs> go, go. I, I, I. <laughs> I can't believe I did that. I feel like I was like really thought no, there you was were inviting me further. to something, but I was, I was like, I was checking in myself. I'm like, I, well, I don't have much. More to say. No, I know. I'm, I'm like, wow, that was intense. You got intense. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I'll put it this way. Like I, 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 I think this was sort of traumatic. This was a traumatic moment for akin me. Akin to a trauma. Akin to a trauma. Uh, taking sort of like, I always liked literature in English and I think it invited mostly, I wouldn't even have said this. It just happened naturally over interpretation in the sense that like I could say whatever I wanted about something I was reading. I wasn't even thinking about like interpretation, but mm-hmm. I, I wasn't like a A plus student. I didn't take gifted classes or advanced placement classes, whatever you call AP. Um, the one time in high school I, I took a, a college English course and I, and you had to like apply to do that. And I got in and even in that class, I like excelled. I would, I would like write papers. Aww. This is my senior year. Yeah, I'd never writing, experienced English. academic success, whatever that even means. I was just always like a B student. <laughs> and all of a sudden I was reading this stuff that I loved and I was writing these papers and getting A's Aww. and even the advanced placement peers of mine were like, you got an A on that? You're like, Aww. wow. And I was just like, oh, I think I have a knack for this English stuff. But then I took a college English course with a professor from SPU. I won't call him out on but he, he was really intimidating Aww. and really mean to the Aww. students. So we would be reading something. I remember we were reading some really cool, like Americana Western literature. We did some like um, detective novels, but we read Willa Cather, who's this cool, like Western esque writer. And anyways, there is a scene where these two people are like in the desert and they get into this cave and they are listening to this like underground river in this cave. And he's like, what do you guys think of this? What do you guys think of like this imagery? And people are raising their hands and, and literally, I mean, this is how the class always went. It's like, no, absolutely not. He's like, that's ridiculous. And somebody go, well, I think it's this. And he goes, 
and he he like he was the editor of a prestigious Interesting. journal. Interesting. And he'd be like, no, no. And he would just he was had the loud baritone voice. And I'm like, I'm not gonna raise my hand and try to say something. Yeah. And eventually, after like 30 minutes, he goes, It's a womb. It's the, they're getting in touch with the the earth and and the life force and it's like you're they're in a cave don't it's you funny see that I really that was what yeah, I, and, I and was I, my I think, first but, but this is this is the point too is like that that sort of authoritative but that's so interesting. that sort of authoritative even that's a great point even like if if you're if you're being a little bit more playful you might just naturally get there but we're yeah. so are we're so stuck yeah. because yeah. we're, we're, we don't know what's happening and we're so nervous no, that we can't course, even get there. Of course. No, I bet people don't even know they can say that out loud. Yeah. That's I'd be so like, I'd be like, maybe it's a womb, but I don't want to say no, it. I was, no, as soon as river cave, I was like, this is sensual. This is mother. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. Is yeah. Body. <laughs> yeah. In this cave underground. Yeah. But also I'm sure it's lots of other things well, and it's not course. literally. Well, and no, it's of like, course. Well, what does it bring up for that's you? That's the and thing. That's the thing. It isn't just that, yeah. you know, but that's fascinating. That is an energy. So yeah. I'll say one, one very, very practical thing. I mean, cause this, this, this applies to almost all of life. I would hope every situation time permitting merits over interpreting, meaning, as many interpretations as, as you can muster time permitting. That's a beautiful (laughs) uh, word amongst them. But one of the things I've been thinking for myself or ideas for myself is over interpreting yourself. Mm -hmm. And I heard it said somewhere that maybe a therapist's goal or a goal of therapy would be to see over interpret yourself. So maybe one of the things that gets us stuck and maybe even is uh, providing poor mental health, maybe whatever that is, um, is just seeing yourself through one lens. Mm -hmm. So if Scott is just this one thing, I can only do this career. I can only do these things. Uh, Adam Phillips would say a repertoire. I have a a repertoire of gestures, behaviors, and habits. And I, I, I like for me personally, of course, in my life, I've only ever thought of myself as a youth pastor mm-hmm. when things start to soften and I can start to gently start to overinterpret. It's like, well, maybe I'm also a podcaster. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'd also like doing stand-up comedy. That's one mm-hmm. of the things I've thought about doing, oh my God. Oh. but like, of course it's true that yeah. we're all capable yes. of so much. Yes. And if I could start to see myself through many different lenses, mm-hmm. There, mm-hmm. there would be less anxiety. It seems. Well, you know, that's a beautiful thought. I have two thoughts. Cause what okay. I'm like, this is just kind of another theory of multiplicity. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just another, I mean, the way that is, I'm like, yeah, this is multiplicity and just another way of even thinking around multiplicity. But I was also sitting here thinking of, We've been reading Artist Way again, and that is interesting because I go back and forth while listening. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm thinking about No Small Thing. I'm thinking about paints. I'm thinking about play therapy. Yeah. I'm thinking about other things I want to do. And it's it's all these things start emerging. And sometimes I start to go, should I pick an art thing? Yeah. You know, like I've even in even in this book that's about spacious trusting in yourself, I feel the like I'm all these multiple things and do I need to pick one? And all of a sudden she's talking and I'm thinking about paints and then I'm like, wait, but this also now this other thing applies to businessy stuff. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. And it's, it's all those pieces. They, they can just all there can, I like that soften a bit. Well, that, that, that just goes right to exactly what I'm saying too, of like Scott sees himself as somebody that's not good with finances. 
Right. And I'm scared of money and I'm scared to talk about that. And I don't want to look at bills and stuff. I'm like, well, that's an underinterpretation of who Scott is. Why is it? Why is that? Why? I mean, there could be lots of reasons, but also what if I overinterpreted myself and said, I'm not, I mean, this goes with a lot of things we're talking about. Multiplicity. There's multiple selves inside of us. And maybe there's a, there is a Scott somewhere inside of me. That's not so scared about money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I'm and I'm entertaining or giving too much airtime to this one part of myself that is, and I mm-hmm. just sort of get locked into that stagnant, mm-hmm. you know, spot stuck. Yeah. We don't want to be stuck. You know what this is what's bringing forward for me is is getting in touch with the desire to grow. Like mm-hmm. what what is that? Like uh, I think in many ways. I can lose touch with my, that desire to grow and how beautiful that actually really is. And I've, I've been reminded of that. I feel like recently in my work of like, there's a desire to grow. Like uh-huh. I have, I have some young patients who are like learning to read and I feel the excitement yeah. of growing yeah. of, of, and it's, it's, this is, there's something around this that I'm thinking around of like, um, I don't know, as you're talking about letting yourself, those part selves also grow. Yeah. Letting pieces of you, I don't know, become more than what flourish. Yeah, yeah. I've always, I've already sort of said. I, I think this is true that like bonsai trees are put in little pots and people clip them and like manicure them and stuff like that. But actually, their roots get really deep and they can get really big. Hmm. But bonsai trees are sort of known for being small and tiny and kept in little generally. And it, it might be a little bit like that, like flourishing, blooming branches more mm-hmm. you know we need to have byron on to talk yeah, about bonsai that'd be really that's fun that's our friend who has a lot of bonsai trees and i think what 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 is it that we're doing with less certain more curious it's like yeah we could over interpret i think that. there's something in me that wants less conflict i mean conflict is good but maybe productive conflict. what do we what's the we might do an episode what is it called uh agnostic conflict yeah agnostic conflict i think yeah. that's what the conflict where we're not so knowing mm-hmm. i mean it seems like it seems like unproductive conflict or maybe what you might call toxic conflict involves two people with underinterpreting. Like one person has a way and the other person has a way. Yes. They're not thinking about it. They're not softening and overinterpreting their view. They're not, over, they're not letting the other person overinterpret a mm-hmm. little bit. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, yeah, it's stuck. Oh, don't want to get stuck. Don't want to get stuck. Uh, we, we are getting, we're at the 30 minute mark, so yeah. we're winding down, but I feel like, <laughs> We, cause we got our segments. Yeah. I got to get right to our segments. <laughs> but, uh, I feel like we never talked about wide angle attention. Yeah. And I feel like that. that's, that's we, we, we the, don't have to keep it right to 30 minutes. I know, that's, a, general. that's exactly why I'm bringing <laughs> yeah. it up. I, I, I feel, uh, Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, I feel like I, I, that's been huge for me too. It's, it's in the same realm. It's in the same realm. And this is introduced by this person named Miriam Milner, who is, awesome also <laughs> in the realm of i wish you've written more she's only written two books is she the middle school or whatever um that is actually that's a really interesting reference she kind of is i would say the yeah. middle school which is like uh object I'm relation in the history of the development of the object relations people but um she's she's cool because what she does she's written about essentially is she's kind of used herself yeah in two separate books one where it's like I'm going to journal and figure out this process and just kind of self study vibes. And then did another one on painting Mm -hmm. in a similar way. It's kind of like a really introspective sharing and like the way she writes is really interesting. And one of the things that she's kind of emerged both 
aesthetically in her like art as well as in kind of thinking is this idea of like wide angled attention. Yeah. So allowing your attention to, I mean, be just that wide angled, not so focused. And and she said she would paint a tree by focusing on everything around the tree and not the tree itself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's really interesting. That's a really, it's, it's, it kind of, yeah. What do you make of that? Well, I mean, I'm sure there's a psychoanalytic way of listening to a patient or a client, whatever, an analysand, whatever word you want to use for that person. I always just, I always am like, what, what word are you using these days? Like, actually it's a client. Actually it's a patient. Okay. <laughs> no, whatever it doesn't word really matter. Uh, um, and not, not hyper focusing it on the precise meaning of exactly what they're saying, but kind of picking up some, some, yes, hovering attention and some themes. Mm-hmm. And, but, 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 uh, we could do that for ourselves too. Like I've been trying to do that on my runs. I go on like these 10 mile runs and I had a time in the winter, like in December where I almost for some reason, randomly assigned myself a set of thoughts. I was like, I want to go through this last year and think about all the little milestones. And I just found myself hating that run. Yeah. And I found myself like, what am I doing? Like, why am I doing this? It feels like homework or something. I was like, let your mind wander. And when I do that, I have all sorts of revelations. Right. When I, when I'm getting those endorphins and I'm running and I'm just thinking my thoughts and letting them sort of just like flow in, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, fly mm-hmm. into my brain. Mm-hmm. It's much nicer. Yeah. Yeah. No, there can be a little more room. There can the be worst more room. part of me in a conversation and you've experienced this for sure. Hyper focuses on a, something someone says and I don't drop it. It's true. And it's like a, it's like a dog biting a, a toy in a manic way, like Dodger with his cheesy bones. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm not going to let it go. And everybody's like, okay, well, I'm sorry I said it like that. And I'm like, oh, but you did say it like that. And what did you mean? And they're like, I, I, I think people are like, I don't really even know what I mean. I'm like, but you said it, you said it, you know, <laughs> which is funny because it's, it's true. And that's rare that that happens, but it is a thing that happens. And it's kind of the, um, shadow side of the gift you want to offer the mm-hmm, world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like it really I'm is. I'm over listening. I'm, yeah. I'm listening and I'm wanting to listen. And I, but, but like, yeah, it's not, it's not, a good, it's not a good energy. I don't think anybody in my entire life would ever say, I love it when Scott does that. <laughs> <laughs> Especially yeah. my kids. Um, uh, can, are we done? Are we, are we, do we want to talk a little bit more about wide angle attention? I had one other thought. One more thought. I love it. Um, this is this is in the realm of something that would be like an earmark placeholder for an overinterpretation episode part two, or something that we can continue to talk about. Because I think something that's been on my mind lately, and it, I'm sure this would give listeners a little interesting prompt to go walk away thinking about this. I'm trying to think about trauma. I'm trying to think about things that happen to us in our lives, mm-hmm. and this idea of like empathy. Cause there's this famous thing that we've watched of Brene Brown of like how to be empathetic. It's like get down in the pit with someone and just sit there. Yeah. With it's them. like a pretty don't viral video. And it's like, don't try to silver line it for someone. So if somebody says I'm having a hard time and go, well, it could be worse, you know, uh, or think about it this way. Yeah. Can you just be with them? In yeah. It? yeah. And there's something really beautiful about that. And in terms of the spirit of over interpreting, I guess it's this idea when the time comes, when there's capacity, it's like, yes, name the trauma. Like that happened to you, mm-hmm. whatever to the trauma is. I don't want to go. And you're using the word trauma by, I would say, what do you, what do you mean by the word trauma? Cause that's a really like, well, I mean, say you have a story where, um, 
you know, you're in the fifth grade walking through the halls and somebody says something really mean to you Mm -hmm. and you start going, somebody in the hall said this mean thing to me and you start telling the story over and over and over again and it gets stronger and bigger and more robust as time. And then you start saying, and here's the impact it had on me and here's what it did to me. And because of that, here's how I am. And you go, yes. Okay. So nobody wants to minimize that experience. But let's go back in time and look at it again. You're a fifth grader. Right. This was a fifth grader. Right. And they said this. We don't even really know what was going on for them that day. And right. they might have meant this. No, it's allows. No, it's like there's some room for it. And no. it had this impact. Mm-hmm. But also maybe it doesn't need to have that impact. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. it can be reworked. Mm-hmm. And maybe mm-hmm. you can do something different with it and mm-hmm. start to tell other stories. Mm-hmm. And And that's the hard part about all of this. It's like, well, now it sounds like we're minimizing. And so it's like, okay, well it's a delicate process. It has to be sort of consensual. The person would want to and need, would want to go back and do that with that memory. And you can't force it on someone. You say, it just seems insensitive to say, there might be another way to look at that. And somebody goes, Hey, fuck you, man. Like that was a hard thing that happened to me. I'm like, sure, sure, sure. It could be hard and it can be other things. It can be hard. And (laughs) you know, it it might be also interesting. Right. Well, and I think that's like, it's funny because you're explaining in many ways, like, honestly, like a therapeutic a, there's many ways to think of therapeutic processes, but a way is kind of, you have to bolster that, you know, all the feelings from that first before you, that person on their own would start to see the other interpretations. I mean, that would be ideally the best thing is that just someone kind of arrives there on their own or wants to arrive there. on their I own. mean, the most controversial, not most, but a very controversial thing to say. And I'm saying, I hope I'm saying this in a playful way with people like, wow, you know, like to say something like Donald Trump was in all ways a terrible president. It's like, well, me, I'm sure. Honestly, looking back, I have no idea really about the economy or, when, when people say, well, let's look at the numbers or somebody, somebody tries to bring in some ideas about like, here are actually a few little positives that happened over the Trump era. And that's, that seems like somebody, a lot of people, including me would not want to talk about. Like I, I only want to view him as terrible and I don't even want you to bring up his name. And he was just a terrible, all out, terrible, all bad, nothing. And you're like, and you know, maybe and you're like, nope, nope. <laughs> and it's like, that's just an example of like, maybe, I mean, of course we know that Joe Biden isn't really no, any mean, better. No, honestly, you know, he, not. he's not really pissing us off in the public by saying cringy things and tweeting, but like <laughs> he just approved this Alaska oil project and it's like, he's a bad dude too. So we can't just act like, Oh, it's just easy because we, so, so there, all these things require a lot of over-interpreting. You know, yeah. No, what I mean, are the as bad you're talking, parts of Joe Biden? as you're talking, I felt the the nervousness yeah. of it. You know, there's something stressful about that. And then I've started to think about these people as babies. And then I was like, yeah, they're just babies. A younger Scott would be very sad and defensive if somebody was critiquing Joe Biden. Oh, a younger Scott. I mean, right now I'm like, go ahead, we'll critique yeah, Joe Biden all day. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 no yeah. reason we can't. That's but I would have been like, no, no, because he's the good guy. And we, we need to prop up this good guy. And of course he's not perfect, but let's like, he's doing his best. Oh yeah. You know? That was so one of the first big thoughts. Yeah. Aha moments I had in politics was like, <laughs> this is going back to a different Scott who grew up aggressively Christian and went to a private Christian school. And George Bush won over Al Gore when I was a junior in high school or college. And on this college Christian campus, we were just cheering. It's like the Christian yeah, one. Gosh. We're not even paying attention to the fact that Al Gore identifies as a Christian. <laughs> and I remember walking by a friend of mine on campus and I was like, 
hi, Morgan. And how are you? And she goes, go Al Gore. And I was like, oh no, we need to pray for Morgan. Oh God, She's, she's going to vote for Al Gore. No, your, your you know? face right now. Yeah. It's like really like it's, it's, I can, it's interesting. Cause I feel like I, uh, it's, it's obvious right there. That face and that reaction is like the script. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's that is and I would the have been interpretation. Of George Bush, I'd have been like, he's doing his best. Pray for our leaders. Pray you can't for critique. He's doing his best. <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh, it's like, uh, what the heck is going on there? Yeah, that is really funny. Pray for your leaders. That's man. funny. Yeah, over interpreting. Yeah, it's a that's an interesting thing. I I want to even say I'm already there's a piece of me that's stuck of using the word trauma because as a person in the field, yeah. it's like. Trauma is a really interesting Well, that word. might be an episode. It, no, exactly. Because it brings up a lot of feelings. Because in some sense, I think it's a useful word. And then it's also probably changed its meaning and use. Like it is diagnostically maybe useful. Yeah. And then also when these words make their way more and more spread out, they take on a new meaning. Yeah. You know what might be fun? A segment for what? us. Because I think it could become a really fun segment. Is what is overused psychological concepts, <laughs> you know, like we could do it. We could do a gaslighting. Like it's so overused that it's completely lost. Its and meaning. like, and, and I think what I'd want to do is actually just be curious about how we're using it. Yeah. Not to say that it's overused and almost like overinterpreting, not overused bad, but right. overused. Okay. So it's being used all over Oversat- the place. Oversaturation. And what does it mean for this? And what does it mean for this? And what's, what's, trying to be expressed yeah. by it being so overused. Yeah. I love this. That's a great yeah. segment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And There's trauma gets used so quickly. People, People make a beeline for that word right. so quickly. Right, and it's it's there's, there's also something in saying trauma that's a help. Yeah. You know, and there's there's all kinds of things. It'd be interesting to kind of like look at different people because even just like imagine typing in like hashtag trauma informed yeah. or something and just read a bunch of Instagram posts. Yeah. That would be interesting. See, so much yeah. fun that can happen once segments. we're back on these mics. Segments. Okay, everyone. This Let me is- just say one more thing. <laughs> <laughs> one more thing. One more thing. I, I, think, I think what Adam Phillips is always in his own way worried about is something getting shut down. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a, a conversation being stopped. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that that is what adds Stifling to our something. anxiety. Like yeah. the idea of therapy would be where this is the place where all things can get said. The things that you think you can't say in regular life can get said. Oh, right. This idea that there's, um, so we're not so afraid of the self Yeah. and then we can work with the self as opposed to not saying it and it's still having some place it goes. It's just in a way that's probably less informed and more sporadic and strange. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, if yeah, you're yeah. not really allowing it to, have some room, mm-hmm. some, mm-hmm. some growing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. Now, okay. Now we can wind down. This All right. Thing. We're going to end this segments? part and then we're going to have some segments coming up and we also have a Reuven segment. Reuven's going to talk about um, Karl Marx yep. and the, I think the communist manifesto. Get so. ready to look at Marxism from a, from a few different lenses. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, are, are we going to take a break full... and come back? I think so. Okay. All right, everybody, when we come back, here's, here's our segments tonight. Tonight, today, wherever you are, um, 
in, in the future, we're going to do something called spin the color wheel. Yes. We don't have a color wheel with us, but maybe we'll make one. Mm-hmm. And we're going to just assign Mace to talk about a color for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Mace You'll still talk in. with me a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm not going to Probably guess. mostly. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but Mace is really on one these days about blue. So we're going to, we're going to have some conversations about blue and then we're going to attempt a segment. We'll see if it sticks or if it's interesting to us. Who was born this day? And we're going to look through the uh, list of who was born today and just see what that does for us. So those are some segments when we come back and then we'll hear from Carl about Carl. I'll do it right Okay, everybody, we're back, and this is going to be a segment called "Spin the Color Wheel." Now, spin the color I'll wheel. I'll just say, here's here's where I'm at in life right now. Tell me, um, I'm liking, I'm I'm back to listening to podcasts a little bit more, and I'm liking, I'm liking a little bit more of a casual vibe. Like I have been really loving the Danny Brown show, so I recommend that to everybody, and. It's very silly. It's very fun. It's a, a rapper that I love and now all of a sudden has a podcast and it's it's just it really is not a big I think Mason and I get a little bit we got this topic and we've got to do it and mm-hmm, we got to stay mm-hmm, on topic mm-hmm. even though we're not trying to lay on the plane or anything like that. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's hard to not see other podcasts out here being a little more tight. Yeah, I I, I mean I think we talked about this maybe in our last episode or maybe we haven't released it yet. I think I think there's an episode of, that's probably already been released at this point, but I haven't released it yet called cheesy corny. Mm-hmm. We haven't released that episode yet, but I think we talk about our mixed emotions about Knox and Jamie making too fast of episodes. They're, yes. they're just, they're just zooming through the content mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it'd just be fun to just, the thing is, is that it, the thing is, is if they're doing an episode on episode six of Harry Potter, the movie, I don't need them to get to everything. I I could just, I'm just there to listen to Knox and Jamie. Yeah. Yeah. No, of course. And I will say, I kind of find like they, they have kind of segment vibes. Yeah. The fun. segments. I just so wish I they wouldn't go so fast. We're just, I wish they settled down a little bit because <laughs> I'm starting to get worked up when I listen. I'm like, ah, Yep, 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 yep. Oh, go, 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 go. Gotcha. Gotta get to that next segment. This is oh, like yep, yep. Truly, Thanks for sharing that. Now I got that. No, nope. Let's share this. And I'm like, ah, whoa. It's truly a stressful experience for you. I don't mind it. I find it kind of energizing, but I generally listen in the morning. So maybe there's something about it, you know? For me with the Danny Brown podcast, I mean, it's on YouTube. So that's a thought for us some days, like maybe mm-hmm. actually recording ourselves mm-hmm. visually but we don't like have a studio for that or anything like that. But I mean, we could record it like this. We don't even need a studio, but, um, I, I mean, this is actually a pretty appealing setup. Like we're here in some chairs and like some nice cozy chairs. We've kind of switched up our recording energy, but, um, you know, I come back from a run and I stretch downstairs for like 30 minutes and I just have him on in the background. I'm not like, Oh, well I'm dedicating myself to listening to this whole episode because he's really trying to say something and I've got to see where he starts and where he ends. It's like, no, it's just, I can start in the middle, end it when I want. It's just meandering all that to say there's a segment where they spin a wheel and they just doing it currently. Yeah. (laughs) 
just gives himself a topic. Um, and, and like they spun the wheel yesterday. It was kale. And Danny Brown talks about kale and collard greens and wherever his mind goes based on the prompt of kale. And it's just <laughs> random, but he's got his feelings. Yeah, and I, I so we decided spin the color wheel. Blue. Blue. What's going on for Mace and blue these days? Spin the color wheel. Oh, 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 we got blue today. Blue. Wow, Mace, look at that. I would want to even say maybe sky blue. Sky blue. Like uh, that's the color we ch- that's on the color wheel, which I'm also wondering if we do the color wheel, if we make it, I'm like, I'm already like, I'm going to have to digitally make this really cool with yeah. really good colors, yeah. you know, the right, the yeah. right color We're going to spin that wheel. Um, first off, uh, you I, have, we all know that you have a different we did a color episode. Mm-hmm. You, you you really have different feelings about color than I do. Like you said, oh, we could spin the color wheel and we could talk about color. I'm like literally not that interested. I'm like, I have no emotions about that. I don't, I don't, right. I have no, I like colors. I know. And it's fascinating because I think it's kind of a main lens in which to view the world. Like think about it as something you can just appreciate. Right. So right now the color that I am really vibing with and then because of that I'm kind of appreciating is the shades of this beautiful spectrum I would say between periwinkle and seafoam blue. Okay. So I want to include all of the shades, but most of it is in the sky blue territory. You're already sort of getting in sort of a romantic hazy <laughs> soft dazzled gestures of these colors. You're it's just, true. I ah. just love them. Yeah. Okay, we have to add at the end of this a song by this new artist that Synchronicity, both Scott and I, within 24 hours, discovered, mm-hmm, which maybe mm-hmm. is it like Spotify and their new album's coming out or something, but that they talk about Blue, uh, Eve Toomer, and uh, it's about Sky Blue. And yeah. I'm like, this is the color, and I can sense this person appreciating it. But I don't know. I think this is this is a wondering, like, uh, over interpretation, even thinking around that, like this is a major lens in which you can view the world color. Like imagine that just the ability to appreciate it, you know, of course. Oh and my gosh. Yeah. I, I think that's well, like, I definitely want to appreciate color. I think that's one of those things that has been, so what I plan to do everyone essentially is I'm kind of like, I'm entering my blue era, blue era. It's my like sky blue, hopefully era, which I mean, that's really going to depend. Hopefully my sky. Well, blue it's, era. I have to, it's really going to depend a lot. And if I can pull this off, getting this color on my hair, but I want an all blue outfit. You're probably going to do it today. All right? blue fits. Yeah. I think I'm probably going to do it fits? today. So it's also spring daylight savings just happened. The sky is blue. So it's like, there's just <laughs> a lot of blue. ways. I guess that that's, that's actually a real thing to say because in Seattle, the sky has been gray. Yeah. This, yeah so the sky the, is blue today. This, so uh, blue skies is, whoa, it's blue yeah. skies. Whoa. This is so exciting. And there's so much to appreciate. And blue waters, blue, blue skies, waters, blue, blue skies, ferry boats, you know, all it's, blue. It's like everything that was gray kind of comes into color. Mm-hmm. And I think something similar happens with green. And those are probably both colors that I'm drawn to. But yeah, so that's the color. It's the color of the season. We That's the spinning of the color. Well, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if... I had this wondering, is blue the most common favorite color? I don't know. I'm looking it up. Okay. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's a, I find myself strangely stuck on things to say about colors for whatever reason. Like I have not that much natural interest in talking about color. <laughs> 
You're missing out. That's an underinterpretation. It is. It is. I see that. I mean, the most popular is- color in the world is blue. Second favorites are red and green, followed by orange, brown, and purple. Yellow is the least favorite. Wow, I like yellow. I would say orange generally is probably my least favorite. But I love orange. You would take. You would take yellow. Would you take orange over yellow? I would not take a color over another color. Well, okay. I mean, there, there's something we could talk about because I really don't like the idea of favorite anything. Like when somebody goes, right. what's your favorite food? I'm like, right. what a question. No, exactly. That, that changes just depending exactly. on my mood. There's no favorite food. Exactly. And a favorite color, no. Which is uh, why, okay. There's no favorite color. I typically answer green. Right. But that's just not true. Right. No, of course not. Well, and I think that's, that's so that's my ideas. I've been thinking about... Um, Scott's inspired by this idea to like get a uniform by Tom Sachs, like this outfit that you wear every day for a season. That's kind of like your Tom Sachs doesn't. Tom Sachs has just a straight up uniform. Doesn't right. change it. Right. Um, right. He doesn't even change it. There was a little bit and and everybody disclaimer, not here for everything that Kanye is doing. Kanye's problematic. And it's just uh, there was something about something that Kanye was sort of doing, which was like this season I'm going to be wearing these boots and you're going to see me everywhere with these boots, you know? And it was kind of like that. That, Yeah. yeah, yeah. I liked it. Yeah. So I've been inspired in some way, but I think I'm coming to my own version, which is I kind of want to do a color, a season. A season. That's fun. Okay. And so it's like, my interest is peaked. So it's All of a sudden the interest meter just went. Because I'm thinking about a, how do you financially engage in your style? Yeah. You know, how do you like, how like sustainably do you financially, financially engage in your style? Yes. You know, like, question. like kind of, what do you think? If you have a budget, if you have to you have a budget, you also want to think like items that you are pieces you really want, like pieces that are maybe more like small business that are quality okay. items. Yeah. But yeah, how do you yeah, do yeah. that? And on a budget, and this is kind of Scott's invitation has been like, you get a uniform. It's like, right. You slowly get a little item each yeah. month yeah, and yeah. then it builds build into you, your little you build uniform. Your uniform. And cause if I'm, I, I'm thinking about giving myself maybe about a hundred dollars a month for clothes. So if it's like a, a little item that you're building a cool little outfit that you'll then wear in that season as it, your main outfit. Yeah. And I think there's a fear that, that that is too long for a certain outfit, but it goes by fast. All of a sudden I'm like, Oh my gosh, this season for that outfit's gone. Mm-hmm, wow. Mm-hmm. Here comes a new outfit. Mm-hmm. And it's, of course you can wear other things and then yeah. you have those parts of your wardrobe. So this is my thinking. <laughs> all of a sudden this is an episode. If I start to uniform. do all blue, mm-hmm. it's like I'm picking a specific blue shade. I'm thinking of, and I said this the other day, like I want more bright colors mm-hmm. in my wardrobe. And so it's like, cool. Now I have this blue I've chosen. I'm essentially choosing a color in the palette. Yeah. And then it's like next, what will it be that will partner potentially with that blue, but also be its own cool monochrome thing. And then it's like, now I'm going to add a third color and it's like, I'm building out a palette. Yeah. You know, it almost feels a little bit like this thing I used to do, which I kind of am doing organically right now with Adam Phillips, but and I should go back to this. So I would choose an author, a read the year, uh, an author a year to read. Mm-hmm. And I just, I felt like I developed a close relationship with that author. Right. And it's like this color. Now you're going to have a season of a relationship with blue. Well, What's it going to be it like? With green. Like yeah. I did that essentially by accident with yeah. green and I didn't really let myself do it with red so much. It was kind of like a splash of red, but green I was in for a long time and I felt the color, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, Oh, green. And I'm like, 
feeling this sky blue. Yeah. So it's like this, this phrase of like, love that for you. Love that for you. Thank you. Thank you. I know. So all blue. Now it's like blue heart emojis. Blue heart emojis. I got to find other blue blue emojis that work. The butterflies that blue. That's a good, Mm -hmm, that's a good mm -hmm, one. mm -hmm. But I think I'm wanting to like not limit the blue. It's like all the shades of teals in light blues there. And then also the ones that fall on the purple hue as well. Like those are beautiful and they pair well with a sky blue on, on this topic. I do like the idea of, of evolving, constantly evolving. And I do think fashion is a way to always be evolving. And there's this, there's this new account I've been following just by accident on Instagram that I think you'd really like where this guy is sort of helping us pay attention to like fashion, aesthetic business, trends and so like the i want to show you this one thing the other day just even for like the no small thing logo he he was saying this word that i didn't even know because it's all like insidery speech but it was like this word like blandling blanding blanding is like sort of a minimalist approach to marketing and websites and and like and probably like that like helvetica font like yeah, yeah. just very simple minimalist yeah. and yeah. Like, this is over like this was here for a while and now it's like very busy, extra, sort oh. of old school cursive. Oh, lots of lots wow. of busyness. Wow, um, with like old symbolic. Well, you're kind of making me want to make a new painting with the rainbow moon on, with like a different background. I'm yeah. like, what if it's something new? Yeah, that's no, that's a- what I'm saying, and 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 it's like the thing is, is that it's, it's so insidery. I would have never known that what this guy's predicting is coming in terms of like trends on websites or whatever the vibes are going to be. Mm-hmm. Anybody would even be knowing, but it's fun to be in the conversation. What if, what if a oh, no small thing alongside this blue for was like sky blue. And then we had another color and kind of experimented yeah. with colors sky blue. for, for no, that'd be fun. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Announcing no small things, new color palette it's, it's, for this season. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's this, these blues. you know, I mean, oh, okay. That's amazing. And imagine how beautiful the, it could look. And then like another shade I'm loving that. And the color wheel could be something that's literally on the Instagram. Yeah. Like, that'd this be fun. The color it would be on really fun wheel. to figure out a way to have a spinning color wheel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, these are ideas forming currently. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking about over interpretation again, and I know we're talking about blue, but like, I feel like trendy is something that needs to be overinterpreted because mm-hmm. it's something that for some reason automatically skews bad. Like mm-hmm. if you're like, oh, that's trendy. It's like people go, oh, you're just trying to be trendy. It's like, well, what's wrong with being trendy? I mean, I mean, it's not bad or good. It's just mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. And I have Which, always. No, I think that's why we want to do an episode on cool. Yeah. Like, I've always mean to want to be liked cool? being a little bit in the know of what is happening. That's a little zeitgeist guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't, I don't like the idea of just following it blindly. I do like the idea of like interpreting it in your own way, but like, you know, whatever it means, relevance. I mean, what, what is the fantasy I have in the background? Like I'm not going to be relevant or something, mm-hmm. but like it is mm-hmm. fun to just pay attention and be like, Oh, we're all kind of thinking about this right now. We're all kind mm-hmm. of doing this. No, I mean, I think it's part of the human ways we stay connected. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I don't know. And I've been thinking about this idea. Now we're really going off on style vibes too, style but color, vibes. all this really relates like these as pieces of adornment and expression yeah. and this ability to express. Like I love clothes. And you know what something. you're kind of doing with colors is almost in color and, and, and almost like, I feel like I'm a little bit doing this with my own little uniform thing is like creating your own trend. 
Mm-hmm. You're sort of saying in a very playful way, this is my interpretation. Uh, hey, everybody, we're doing blue now. Yeah. You're, not, you're not like, oh, somebody, the culture is doing blue, so I'm doing it. It's like, no, I'm doing blue and you can all get on the bandwagon because it's blue season, baby. Blue season, baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. What if, though, it is like the trendy color? I didn't realize it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just accidentally chose what's trending. Yeah. Um, okay, okay. I that's think our that's little, a segment. That's our little segment, everybody. Blue, Ooh. when we come back, we're going to figure <laughs> out who was born today. Yes. Well, if you guys okay, you could just restart. All right, we're back with another segment, and this is going to be who's born today. And uh, oh, I had it pulled up, and let's see where it went. Here it is. And uh, we're we're probably going to breeze by a few of these people because some of them I don't know. Okay. And there's like a list of like twenty people. So, wow. I mean, there's a wow. website, famous wow. people born today. Wow. And uh, maybe this just might be fun for you to hear some names and be like, "Well, I know that person," mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I think we can choose to pause on one or two big ones. Okay. And I've already glanced glanced yeah. at this list. So the first one is Lily Collins. Do you know who that is? Lily Collins. Actress best known for her films The Blind Side, Rules Don't Apply, and To the Bone. She looks slightly familiar, but I don't. Mm-mm. Listed in fashion. Born in 1989. Oh, she's Phil Collins' daughter. Wow. Does she sing? No, I'm thinking Doesn't of a different like person. Um, so let's just breeze right by her. Queen Latifah was born today. Wow, that's fun. Uh, rapper. She's listed as a singer, but she's more of a rapper. Um, do you know any Queen Latifah songs? <laughs> Not the top of my head. I'm sure you do. She has. Well, I mean, I, I know a few, but the most famous one is this one called UNITY, and it's about unity. And um, I feel like UNITY. Yeah. Uh, but even though I would say I'm a fan of Queen Latifah, um, I, I don't really sadly know too much of her songs. No, but I feel like she's in lots of things. Yeah. Like she makes lots of appearances. She, she sang in the movies. movie Queen. She sang in the movie Queen Latifah. She sang in the movie musical of Chicago. Yeah. And Kanye has a great line in one of his raps. He says, you see how I played a big role in Chicago like Queen Latifah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my free association reference. Okay. Now here's the one that might be a one to spend some time on. Adam Levine born today. Adam Levine. Wait, who's Lead that? Lead singer of Maroon 5. Oh, I, Adam Levine. Yeah. When I, Let's let's just give ourselves a little window of time to talk about Adam Levine. Um, when I was I was into Maroon Five when I was in like third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. Yeah, that was that's my favorite moments of Adam Levine. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. I probably I had a little crush on the, Adam Levine. The, weir- the weird thing is, is when Maroon Five came out. Mm-hmm. They were they were sort of a hip indie mm-hmm. underground. Yeah, it was she will be loved. Yeah. It was this love has that's taking its toll on 
me. Mm-hmm. I think that was on the first album. Mm-hmm. It was a cool new sound. They were a band. It was coming I, on the heels then. of like a lot of pop stuff. So all of a sudden there was some credibility that the band was a band. They played their own instruments. They didn't. Mm-hmm. It was like that was a new. It's like obviously that's not a new thing. But in terms of the pop vibe at the time, I think that added like a little bit of credibility to Adam Levine. And their sound was kind of different and fun and jazzy and funky and um and it's like we've been watching you and me have been watching anthony fantano go through like the billboard top 10 yeah and it's interesting once the 2000s hit every year has like a shitty maroon five song in the top 10 you're like the payphone. I'm at a payphone. Uh, no, exactly. It's like, it's like I, this I feel song. like Adam Levine is such a disappointment. Yeah. Like I'm like, moves like Jagger moves like Jagger. I'm like, what is this? No, what is I this? know compared to she will. That one. Yeah. I mean, or Sunday. Mo- is that what did you say? Sunday, Sunday morning, morning rain is calling. Those, those were the good Show songs. Some yeah, I know. We're just sing some but uh, he was on the voice. Yeah. And he seems like a nice guy. Like he seems like a fun person to hang yeah, out. Yeah, and with. I feel like I forget when the voice was out, but I definitely I think was a bit of a teen then. Yeah. So I watched it a I'm little not, bit. Is the voice still out? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the initial. I don't. Was it Christina Aguilera to start? Mm-hmm. Was that the original I think, thing? I don't remember. Other people have been on. I don't. I don't there know. was I some. Uh, I think Usher's Blake Shelton. Been on. Blake Shelton some, was a big like one. A, yeah. Yeah. Um, bunch CeeLo of other Green. People. Maybe CeeLo was on it for a while too. I yeah. think so. Okay. I don't know. I, I wasn't huge into the voice. I watched it a little bit, but yeah, Adam Levine. I'm like, uh, oh, he also was like on the Super Bowl. He's sort of known, it seems, for uh, not that I track him a lot. I have like very wide, loose angle attention for Adam, <laughs> Levine. but it seems like he in in private life, going around in the world, as charming as he seemed to be on the Voice, he has a little bit of a reputation for being a douchebag. I mean, he gives off douchebag energy. Yeah. He seems like he thinks he's cooler than he is. Yeah. And it's annoying. Like he thinks he's hot stuff. Yeah. Like, I mean, he did the Super Bowl. Maroon 5 did the Super Bowl. And he like really, really had to do the whole shirt off rock star thing. It's like, there's nothing wrong with taking off your shirt, but it's just a little extra. Yeah. I think it's like, he's not, it's, it's one of those people where it's, has gone the route that's less art. You know, it's just. It feels sell out, sell out. Yeah, it does. You know? And it's like, okay, well, I guess you can make a lot of money if you sell out, but yeah. it's like, it's like what, whoever is in as a peer of his and, and whoever has taken a different turn, yeah. it's like Maroon 5 could have been no, I think a so. cooler band. It's a bummer. Yeah. Who has there been any good new songs? By Maroon 5? Any, any like recent ones that are no. good ones? No, no, no. Scott no, has no, no. confidence I mean, maybe, but I'm not aware. Yeah. I'm not really paying attention to Maroon 5. It's true. I mean, I sound like a music snob right now, but it just so happens that I really don't like the song. It just so happens. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not like, uh, no, I mean, it's a I nonsensical really, song. I really, I feel like for me, I would say, you know, this would be another, we're thinking of doing other music segments because it's fun to think about where you were when a song, when things came into your life, Mm -hmm. whether it was when that actual thing came out or when it came into your life, either way, it's interesting. But I think they really were for me. I was just in like fourth ish grade where you're just starting to kind of be like, start to have your own taste in music. You're like developing a taste or something. And they were good then. And that was like, Oh, I like this vibe. Totally. Um, 
And I have lots of like memories of like, wow, like starting to like music Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and them mm -hmm. being one of those early bands that I thought was cool. Yeah. Um, I would go over to my friend Laura Heck and Lively's house and we'd listen to Maroon 5. I can like picture us being there and then like going and swimming and being kids. But it's like, oh, but look at Maroon 5. And there's like, I think she had a poster in her room. <laughs> there's other bands from that era that, I, I mean, they, they were sort of in one era. And then all of a sudden for me, like some other bands started to emerge. It was like Arcade Fire, Ooh, The yeah, Strokes. Okay. But none of them have aged quite that well either. Like Arcade Fire isn't really aging that well. Okay, here's the next question. Who ages well? Because there was that person that we watched, a YouTube person who was talking about this idea of like, hey, there's probably artists that I don't listen to that I love their older stuff, but I haven't, you know, gone back and listened to. Right. And they're making new stuff and I'm just not listening to it. I'm just right. really listening to their old stuff. Like, are they out there? And we what just was don't that? know. What was that YouTube? It was just some YouTuber. I forget his yeah. name. But I do. That's an interesting thought of like, does the music industry, now here's just a question. I'm, I'm, I don't know at all, but like, do we allow for people to age well? Like who, how many artists really do age well? I mean, like, I think Bjork is one of those yeah, ones that's well. like kind of doing something, but it's like, I think about the strokes yeah, or not the strokes. Uh, Julian Casablanca's. No, no, no. Uh, RK fire. No, 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 no. Uh, Fox's? Sparks. 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 Oh yeah. We, we'll do an episode on sparks someday. Everybody go, go watch the sparks documentary. Go watch the sparks documentary. Truly. Uh, they're a band who I, I, my thoughts are too floaty right now. Well, I would say, they, const- <laughs> uh, I mean, l- 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 let me just try something on here and see Beautiful. what you think. There's something like, um, well, Bob Dylan was like this. A lot of people, I think in order to heavy quotes be respected, it's not even like stay relevant. Cause this is what we're saying about Adam Levine and room five. They, they have stayed relevant quote unquote, mm-hmm. but, um, I, I, in a cheesy way where it's like, well, they're getting away with a lot because they're making a lot of money. So, but, but I guess in order to be respectable, whatever that means, it's like, Bob Dylan is a person that constantly reinvented himself. His, his albums were never right. sounding the I same. I know. I That's an interesting thing to reinvent yourself. Yeah. And it's like, well, Maroon 5, look at them. Their sounds changed. Yeah. Cool. So they have reinvented they themselves. They have reinvented themselves, but it's an interesting <sighs> reinvention. And then it's with Sparks, like, uh, they're constantly reinventing their sound. But there is some sort of authentic heartbeat. Artist piece yeah. in them that feels like a part of it. Okay, was there anyone else born yeah, this yeah, day? Yeah. Oh, no, nobody else. That was it. I mean, that, that was... Those are some of the Queen big Latifa, ones. Queen Latifah, I mean, that's a big one too. Grover Cleveland. Don't know that. Uh, Vanessa Williams. Vanessa Williams, like... Yeah, uh, the singer. Like uh, from High School Musical? No. Was she in High School Musical? No, Vanessa Hudgens. She, she, she's, a, she's a singer. She has she has some hits I'm, that aren't coming up to mind so frequently. Right I feel now. like I can picture... I, I feel like I... Well, I'm, this is her. There's a picture of her. Right, but I'm... I'm she was born in 1963... Uh, let's just go right past. I mean, I don't really want to spend Charlie Great. pride. He's a country singer. Apparently Mike Rowe. He's that, um, he's that guy from, uh, let's see discovery channel. How, how the universe works in deadliest catch. Peter Graves. Don't know who that is. Sutton Foster. Don't know who that is. Sorry, everybody. If you know who these people are and I'm hurting your feelings, I think we got the big ones. Yeah. Brad Dourif. He's a cool actor. He played worm tongue in Lord of the Rings. Hmm. He's kind of a cool actor. Um, John C. Calhoun. Irene Cara, Michael James. Oh yeah, this one. This is yeah. this is Vanessa Williams. Yeah, 
It, sometimes the soul falls down in June. What's the song called? I'll save the best for last. You went and saved the best for last. Yeah. Soul falls down in June. Sometimes the sun goes round the moon. <laughs> Passion in your eyes. When did this come out? This is uh, probably like, I, let me guess. 1994? 91. 91, yeah. This was big when it came out. How old were you? Uh, 12. This came out when I was 12. Aww, so you've got these... A big 90s These ballad. big emotions. This kid, these kid emotions. <laughs> this was just... <laughs> this was just everywhere. Um, I think those are the big ones, though, that, that, that... I think that can end this segment. Beautiful. Yeah. Do you have anything <laughs> you want to just play out? Yeah. This, we'll just let this... Everybody enjoy <laughs> this song by Vanessa Williams, and we'll come back with Reuven's thoughts on uh, Marxism. <laughs> Oh, oh, that's good. We're, we're saved the best for last, everybody. Reuven. <laughs> Reuven Panada coming in and talking about Marxism. All right, everybody, we're back. And Reuven is here to corrupt your minds with communism. Okay. (laughs) First of all, did you talk about how beautiful of a day it is? We kind of referenced that because we talked about the sky is blue for once instead Mm -hmm. of gray. The ciel is blue. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I know I've been harping about Wagner. Wagner, yeah. uh, This is more of a Debussy kind of day. Um, I mean, speaking of Wagner, um, do you know that there are actually a lot of communists and socialists who loved Wagner? Okay. Yeah, that doesn't George, surprise me. Yeah, no. Uh, George Bernard Shaw wrote uh, The Perfect Wagnerite, where okay. he basically argued that all four operas of the ring is just a metaphor for like capitalist exploitation. Okay, there okay. it is. So uh, we're over-interpreting the ring yeah. cycles. <laughs> the ring cycles. I mean, <laughs> as if it's not been over-interpreted yeah. enough. Um, <laughs> okay, so I think I intended this reflection for like a few weeks ago when it was sort of the publication date of the Communist Manifesto. Yeah. Like the 100th anniversary or something? 150? Uh, I think more. Yeah. yeah, this was this came out in... Uh, before, on the eve of 1848. Okay. So it's been around for a while. All right. I mean, Wagner was also involved in the revolution of 1848. You okay. Know? He was friends with uh, Proudhon and stuff. Some uh, information. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of information for you. But, um, uh, oh, yes, that's right. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I want to make a case for reading kind of manifesto. First of all, it's short, right? Okay. It's like 50 pages. 
So it's uh, you can read it in a sitting. You can read it in a, in a day. Maybe not a sitting. Uh, and it is very well written. You know, one of the funniest things is when people talk about the death of communism, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, like Francis Fukuyama and stuff after the collapse of the Soviet Union. And they, like, for, forget that the first sentence of the Communist Manifesto is, 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 is specter is haunting Europe, the specter of communism. Specters don't die. Ah, yes. Or like, Can you say it again? A specter is haunting Europe, the specter of communism. That's the opening line of the Communist Manifesto. Okay. Right. Um so it's uh, so by calling it a specter, he now he now says it will never die. Yeah, it will. I mean, it has. I mean, you know, you can read if you want to read a bold book on it, you can read Derrida's Specters of Marx. Okay, <laughs> where he just like goes off on like the on specters and Marx. Beautiful. Uh, but uh, so first of all, it's a it's a it's a short read. It's also a very good read. Okay, Marx uh, was a very literary person mm-hmm. right i think he said at one point that well i know that he likes quoting you know he would quote like shakespeare a lot like when he was um he said that when he was i think at one point he said that if he was ever finished with capital you know uh, he would he wanted to write a study on uh how do you say his name is balzac balzac you right yeah uh you know so he's and he you know if you read capital you know, he has a lot of literary references, a lot of concepts. I mean, his his doctoral dissertation was on on he was he was a classicist. Okay. His doctoral dissertation was on uh, Lucretius, uh, Heraclitus. You know, so like these kind of like Greek thinkers. Yeah, he was. Uh, but he was. I mean, it's a manifesto, first of all, too, right? So, and a manifesto needs to 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 do things that are. It needs to sort of like announce itself it is mm-hmm. sort of a it's not just a you know in linguistics not just a constitutive act which means like just a statement right when you say that um the sky is blue is a constitutive act performative act a performative speech act is when you say i pronounce you husband and wife Got so it. you're not stating anything you're doing something by saying it okay you're right. making something into Happen. reality yeah Happen. when you yeah. say prop you promise you know is a performative act yeah, you're announcing yeah. something. Yeah, you're announcing something. Wow, okay. Yeah. You're not, yeah, I got it. You're okay. conjuring to go, conjuring, with, I love to that. go with like the specter metaphor, and which means that like it, the, the language is of course not supposed to be sort of like dry, mechanical, realistic. I mean, people have, I don't know. I mean, here's a little secret that I have is when I talk about communism here, I assure people that, you know, I'm from Indonesia, right? And Indonesia has, in, you know, at one point, had a U.S. kind of like backed military coup and went from having the biggest non-bloc communist party to to the kind of virulently anti-communist society that it is now. Yeah. Uh, so when I, when I'm in in the United States, you know, I, I try to talk about communism. I try to assure people like, oh, don't be worried, don't worry. You know, you're not as ignorant as the Indonesians when it comes to communism. But when I'm in Indonesia, I do the opposite. I say, don't worry, you're not as ignorant as those Americans. Yeah. So <laughs> when you can get people to like feel better about themselves, they become more receptive. So I tell you now, don't worry, you're not as ignorant as those Indonesians when it comes to communism. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Does this air so many Ind- of your own inside jokes with yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> does this air in Indonesia? And if you can like do something where it, becomes reverse where I say the other thing if it is listened there. Yeah. Uh, but so, uh, so I mean, if you want to talk about like 
manifesto that uses violent language. You can read any manifesto from like the early 20th century modernist, like the Futurist Manifesto. The like talks about like words being weapons and bombs, but no one goes around and it's like, oh, that Marinetti guy, he killed a lot of people because he said that words are like weapons. It's like, unless Got you're it. that stupid, you know that words are weapons. I mean, they can yeah. take part in a military campaign, but we should write a no small thing manifesto, a curiosity manifesto. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Wow, yeah. It'd be fun. A conjuring. Yeah. Manifestos, they're always a fun genre. Yeah. A funny genre? Fun. A fun genre. And, yeah. and maybe even funny sometimes. So look at even, uh, but you know, uh, this is not particularly violent, but like even listen to this passage, right? Where uh, he, Marx and Engels talk about how communism, uh, capitalism is, is a sort of like a revolutionary force. Okay. In the sense that it, it is something that is new. It is not like feudalism. It is not like other kind of like systems of production before that. So, and you know, he, they, they use the word revolution, Right? So this is like one, just one passage. The bourgeoisie cannot exist without constantly revolutionizing the instruments of production and thereby the relations of production and with them the whole relations of society. Conservation of the old modes of production in, a, in an altered form was, on the contrary, the first condition of existence for all earlier industrial classes. Constant revolutionizing of production, uninterrupted disturbance of all social conditions, everlasting uncertainty and agitation distinguish the bourgeois epoch from all earlier ones. This is where he kind of becomes poetic. Uh, they become poetic. All fixed, fast, frozen relations with their train of ancient and venerable prejudices and opinions are swept away, and all new formed ones become antiquated before they can ossify. All that is solid melts into air. All that is holy is profaned, and man is at last compelled to face with sober senses his real conditions of life and his relations with his kind. Woo! Right? All that is solid melts into air. Right? Yeah. That's a famous phrase. There's a, there's a book by Marshall Bremen, Brennan, about that. But, you know, like, if you think of, like, you know, the chaos of, like, something like the market. Yeah. Right? The chaos of, of, of you know... What's that bank that just literally just like the ease with which just like entire financial systems just collapse? Like Goldman Sachs or something? Yeah, or like yeah. something like that, right? But, uh, I mean, I have a lot of Indonesian examples, but with American examples, I, I'm not too clear with the terms. But you think all that is solid melts into air. Yeah. Right? This insane thing that governs our lives, right? That decides everything we do, where it's, you know, for, for people like us, it's literally just to make money so that we can survive right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i mean what is a more evocative phrase right that yeah. like everything has sort of like evaporated into air so would you say another word for money was money yeah we, we got to do a cronk style <laughs> interview with mm-hmm. each other someday but um is would you say another another word for like bourgeoisie could be upper class uh i think it's a little i mean there's so much work that's been done ever yeah. since right uh upper class seems to me is more about sort of like like kind of like taste okay right? or like i mean the means to afford that taste but it, it it seems to have a lot to do with sort of like um kind of like appearance mm-hmm. i don't know uh but i mean maybe one of the one of the most elementary definitions of bourgeoisie is they own the means of production right right right, right. 
And the owning of the means of production, which is not just for Marx, is not just uh, in Engels, you know, but for Marxism, it's not just they own the machine to produce things, but they own things like land, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So if you if you read Capital, I don't know how much they talk about it in Communist Manifesto. Marx will talk about it, like capitalism was not possible without the expropriation of land, yeah, right? Because without land, you can't produce anything, right? Right. So uh, that's why kind of like the proletariat, he Marx all the things like the proletariat cannot emerge without this enclosure, this kind of global movement of enclosure. You see that with settler colonialism, or you see it with colonial, you know, colonialism, right? You see it with uh, with, with the Irish, you know, like yeah. they take their land, right? So that they can't live on, they can't live on their own labor. They have to sell sell their labor to the bourgeoisie. Right? It's so, really weird. You haven't watched this, but like we're watching this show called Andor, mm-hmm. which is the Star Wars movie. And like, it's, it's like... Um, the the bad guys the villains the empire mm-hmm. you know it's like part of one of the storylines is that they've taken the land of this indigenous culture on mm-hmm. this land and you hear them talk about how they basically said we've made a plan and this this group of people has to make their way to mm-hmm. our giant building mm-hmm. and along the way they've given them little distractions and incentives to basically give up and mm-hmm. to concede to the empire mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and make it seem like it's their mm-hmm. choice all along the way. Mm-hmm, it's yeah. very, I mean, right out there out right? front. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Marx's, some of Marx's insights have become like more and more obvious, you know, uh, I can give you literally like a book about agriculture in Indonesia that describes the same dynamics. Yeah. Um, so he is, uh, it's sort of like, he is sort of very prescient, uh, in 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 his and that's what I think. What people also don't understand about the kind of manifesto is it, it's theoretically very sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is the one example that I'd, that I just like yeah, to give. Yes, You guys can't hear Mace on the mic. Mace is here. A specter, the specter of Mace, <laughs> saying there are some big words in that reading, mm-hmm. which there were. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, for like. But this is kind of like the, I feel like one of the most theoretically sophisticated moments in the Communist Manifesto. And I say theoretically sophisticated because you see economists these days sort of not even grasping this basic concept, right? For example, a few years ago, some of you might know this, the French economist Thomas Piketty published that book, huge book, Capital in the 21st Century. I read it years ago. All I can, re- I don't remember a lot. I remember, the, uh, but one of the things that I remember is, uh, is that his definition of capital, but his definition ca- of capital is simply the asset that people own. Yeah. Right. So that if you're upper class, mm-hmm. you have a lot of assets, right? If you're lower class, you have fewer assets. Now, that is not how Marx would define capital. And the way Marx would define capital would be. I think more theoretically sophisticated because if 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 according to Piketty, it's all just a grad, grad gradation, right? Yeah. So like rich people have ninety five assets, poor people have six asset, at six assets, right? But the definition doesn't contain like okay, so doesn't contain the relation that yeah. creates the upper class and the lower class, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. And this is different from Marx because this is what 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 uh, Marx says about capital. Okay, right? this is what he says: to be a capitalist is to have not only a purely personal, but a social status in production. Capital is a collective product, and only by the united action of many members, 
nay, in the last resort, only by the united action of all members of society can it be set in motion. Capital is therefore not a personal, it is a social power. When therefore capital is converted into common property, into the property of all members of society, personal property is not thereby transformed into social property. It is only the social character of the property that is changed. It loses its class character. So what Marx is saying that capital is not, capital is actually, first of all, he says that this is not about the morals of the capitalist, right? You kill one capitalist, another one will pop up. Right. <laughs> Capitalists are constantly killing each other. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, they, they always outcompete each other. And if you lose the competition, you get accumulated. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think about like uh, Richard Branson and Elon Musk and, mm-hmm you know, all these billionaires who are building rockets and they're all competing and trying to outdo each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, uh, it's not like, let's say Elon Musk dies tomorrow. Yeah. He'll be replaced. Right, 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 right. right. So this is not a moral argument, first of all. Marx doesn't make moral arguments. Hmm. This is like pragmatic? No, he's, (sighs) this is a loaded word that I don't want to get into, but it's, I think he's, he's kind of like, Dialectical or scientific. Oh boy! Yeah. Gonna <laughs> dialectic. You don't want to get. It. We are going to read Hegel this summer, though. So uh, yeah, we'll try. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting. He says that capital is a collective product, right? Capital. I like is, that. It's not something that. It's not. It. It. It is something that has to involve the whole society to be produced. Mm. Right. That's why, like, one of the biggest threats to capital is what a strike. Right. 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 You say I stop. Yeah. What? Right. The, the machine that you've put in your in your factory, we're not going to touch it. Yeah, which means it's going to like waste away. It's right. not going to be used. Ooh. It's Ooh. not going to produce anything powerful, right? So that's why, like that. So Marx is saying that capital, like that capital, is actually the wealth that is created with capital, right? Is the social the wealth? Yeah, yeah. Right. It everyone per- has to participate. That's yeah. why. It's a global thing. That's why in the 60s, when, when a country like Indonesia said, no, we don't want to be a part of your, of your, of your market, they're like, no, we're going to finance your military to do a takeover. Right. Right. So it's, it, it has to sort of like include everyone. It, mm. it wants to like always take all the riches and make more. Mm. Of it. It's like a spiral. Yeah. It has to ever expand, 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 expand. Right. So Marx is actually saying that like, if you look at all, all these things, you know, you look at all these things, like who makes all of these? Ruben's gesturing to yeah. the city and the neighborhood. Right. Who makes all of these? Who makes the bridge? Yeah. Who makes the bridges? Yeah. The cars, the, the house, cars, all the little lights right. in our buildings. And yeah. So capital is actually this tremendously insane power, yeah. right? That just creates so many. I mean, you look at fucking buildings, and it's like, you, like who? What? Where does it all come from? <laughs> a factory somewhere, yeah. Yeah. I think about road signs, mm-hmm. like update, and like who's all running this? May mm-hmm. said they think about road signs and updates, and who's making all of this stuff. <laughs> 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 the specter of Mason. We will get a third microphone next time we need yeah. to set up better. Uh, so it is, he's saying that capital is, a, is actually a social thing. Right? Yeah. It's not about individuals. It's not about morals, right? It, and it involves everyone. Involves everyone. And, and it's, it's, it's just, it's social wealth individually appropriated. Well, so let me ask this question mm-hmm. in the, for the theme of this episode, which mm-hmm. is over-interpretation. Because it does seem like, uh, underinterpretation is sort of like minimizing something complex into one way. And mm-hmm. so like 
you know, one of the things we talk about a lot on the show is defense mechanisms and splitting when something becomes too complex or sophisticated, we have to simplify Mm -hmm. it. And it seems like something like this, the way you're describing it, people have just kind of discarded Mm -hmm. the communist manifesto because it's like when I grew up hearing about Marx, it was mm-hmm. always, or Nietzsche for that matter. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you say it. N- Nietzsche. N- Nietzsche, yeah. Um, it was always derogatory and fear-based mm-hmm. and like these evil specters, mm-hmm. Marx. And uh, if somebody said communist manifesto, like, it's almost like uh, having contraband or something. It's mm-hmm. like, who has that? Who has a copy of that? <gasps> you know, mm-hmm. and, and even as you're talking, I'm like, well, maybe it was just too sophisticated and, and people write it off without even reading it. Mm-hmm. And if they do read it, they're too overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was, is that sort of, is that sort of what you've been telling me mostly throughout our days here at the house where you're saying Indonesians even have been like discard marks? Yeah. I mean, in Indonesia, the process is different in Indonesia because, you know, uh, after 65 and sort of like the military coup, became illegal, hmm. right? So, and it recently got codified into like the criminal codes. So it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's very, it's very different than, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to emphasize the difference too much because there are a lot of labor movements. Yeah. Know, there are a lot of, you know, radical movements in the United States too. But in Indonesia, the country itself could not have become independent if not for like, the communist. Yeah. I mean, and they won't, you, you say generally people don't want to acknowledge that. No, 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 no. They don't. I mean, if you, uh, you know, if you read like an Indonesian his, history textbooks, it is one of the most ridiculously written things in the world. Like you can sort of like tell, like this is like just a bunch of idiots gathered to, to write this. <laughs> like you're like so much is excluded. Yeah. And I mean, you're, Yeah. So it's, it, 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 I mean, we don't want to make it too simple, but like in mm-hmm. general for America, in my dumb brain that still doesn't really totally understand all these things, it's like the communist manifesto is sort of a threat to the whole system. Yeah. So we don't really want to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think now there's a lot more interest, right? In it's kind socialism. of a hip thing. I feel like teens yeah. and young people are people, reading yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Ro Romden showed up with the B-Boys with a copy of, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> It's so I don't I think for people who are are you asking me like what should what would I recommend to people who are hesitant? Yeah, uh, that, yeah, I am asking that. Really. Oh, yeah, <laughs> thanks or for feeding me a question. Hesitant. <laughs> well, first of all, I mean you don't even have to go to Marx. You can begin with your own experiences, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, you can begin with sort of well, I don't know. This will depend, you know, on who you are. Right. If you think about sort of, um, you know, if if you're a worker, yeah. Right. You think about kind of like, oh, all the, like, okay, I make this much money, right? Uh, but uh, I'm not sort of like, like I don't know. Why why do I have to work? Why do yeah. I have to work for another person? Yeah, yeah. Right. I'm not saying like, uh, you know, why do why can't we all just like lie around all day? I mean, forever, right? In from. Forever, humans have done yeah. things to make sure that they're yeah. alive, right? But you can, you can, you know, you can ask yourselves of like, uh, why am I so like? This is, I think, I'll, okay, I'll give my own ex- example. Like, right? why am I sort of like anxious all the time about kind of like uh, about the future? Yeah, it's because there's no guarantee in this yeah. life. Right? Yeah, unless you can find a market 
where you can sell your labor power and mm. you're renew and you're you receive enough money back in return to kind of uh, to allow you to buy things that you need to live, you will just die. Right. Yeah. Like, you'll just be like, no one is kind of going to sort of like, there's no, no safety at all. Right. That's right? true. You think of like, I mean, things like, like chat GPT. Yeah. Right. There's, you know, like it's going to, if, if it ends up being kind of like taking over all these things, right. You're not going to be able to like sell your labor power. Hmm. Right. You'll be like, what am I supposed to do? And you're not going to receive any money. Yeah. Right. What am I supposed to do? Right. So I think people can sort of, they can sort of like maybe like begin with their own sort of like experiences. Mm. And I don't know. I mean, just ask why you're so anxious. Yeah. Just ask yourself, why are you, why am I so anxious? Uh, Or if you're kind of rich, it's like, why do people resent me? (laughs) (laughs) Just stop and wonder that for a second. If you're rich Uh, and listening to this. Yeah. Why do people, why do people want to eat the rich? What's so bad about us? Yeah. What's so bad about us? Yeah. So I think, you don't have to start with the communist manifesto. That's all. That's what what I, what I will say. Yeah. You can, uh, you know, it is. Maybe it's not a single day read. Maybe it's. Uh, well, Mace is suggesting a page a day of the communist manifesto for Lent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> at your Lenten practice this year, and there are like so many online resources that are explaining things better than me. Okay. Oh, oh uh, you're pretty good, Ruben. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, and. I mean, also, I don't know. I feel like the the more you read it, the more you realize that sort of like this guy's onto something. Yeah, let's <laughs> and, do it. I mean, okay. One one last thing. I'll, I'll take one last thing. One of also the fun things about the Communist Manifesto is is this. So first of all, communism, socialism, none of these were invented by Marx or Engels. Okay. Right. Uh, everyone. It was in the idea of Wagner. Wagner. Right. <laughs> really Wagner was right a kind of was a kind of, and this is a, I think a good. <laughs> kind of come back. Okay. Wagner was this, was a kind of like an anarchist socialist, you know, he was yeah. uh, um he, you know, he took part in the 1848 revolution, right? He called for I mean so there's a section in the Communist Manifesto where Marx and Engels were criticizing all other all, not all other, but the other socialist movements where they say this is how you get it wrong. Uh-huh. And this is I and they didn't mention Wagner especially here, but there is one movement that they criticized uh it's called. Uh, let me see. This this is this will be very relevant for people who live in Seattle. Uh, he 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 calls it a feudal socialism. Feudal socialism. Okay. Feudal socialism is this kind of like I think uh, one way to call call this would be romantic anti-capitalism. <laughs> Love that. Right. So romantic you're anti-capitalist, but what you want to do is you want to go back to the past. Yeah. You want to go back to kind of like oh let's all just be kind of like, uh you know we can all just be sort of like. It's kind of like this, like, w- like Thoreau kind yeah. of idea, or like a Wendellberry kind of idea. Yeah, yeah, right. Like we're all going to get our own just, farms. Yeah, and, if we all yeah. just choose to kind of like go, you know, go kind of like go back to like farming, right? If we uh, and Wagner was one of the, if we can't all go back to like this human essence, you know, yeah. go back to our organic relations. Wagner, one of the reasons why it's not contradictory for Wagner to be both. Socialist and a huge anti-Semite is because he identifies capital with the Jews. Right. The Jews are people who have no homes, who have no lands. Yeah. They come, they become parasites. They are like capital. Yeah. Therefore, the thing to do is to get rid of the Jews. 
right? So that we all can become pure Germans, right, 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 in touch with our soil. Yeah, right. I mean, you're in Seattle. Like, how many people do you see say things kind of like, "Oh, like nature. We all should go back to nature." <laughs> we all need chickens, right? Uh, we all need. A, I mean, we all first need our of all, goat. you have to like. <laughs> you have to like not be the target of U.S. government, government, right. To be able to do, do that, but also like that will change nothing because <laughs> you will you'll be able to, if you have money you'll be able to buy yourself some fucking like spot on the mountain. Yeah, right, right. right. But like, but like that will never change the world. Like the climate change will keep going, right? You'll, yeah. If you're rich, you'll be able to buy yourself out of it, basically. Yeah. You're right? gonna but get that's, to move to uh, Mars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Marx is saying like that's bullshit. Yeah, you know? <laughs> uh, and because I think at the end of the day, one of the thing that I appreciate the most about Marx is he is very clear. There is no going back. There's no going back. I really like that. There is no going back. No we nostalgia. Yeah, yeah, no nostalgia. We are here. The world has changed. Yeah, and it cannot go back. Got to do something new. Yeah, and someday it'd be interesting to really do an episode on Chaz. Chaz. Or a few episodes and really take that apart and, and ask some people what was going on up there. Yeah, people who were there. I didn't yeah. go there at all. I mean, yeah. at that time we had someone living here who was, uh, who had, uh, it was yeah. Im- immunocompromised. Yeah. But also it's like, mm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but so we uh, kind of in Seattle, everybody like took, o- took over a police station, station and like took over a bunch, a big park here in Seattle and, and like, created like a sovereign state yeah. in the middle of like the, I mean, it was, it was really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say that Everybody's like farming and I mean, okay, this will be the, the, the last, okay. uh, the, the last finale finale, right? Uh, a, tr- a, tr- a tradition in Marxism is also this thing called self-criticism, hmm. right? So Marx always constantly criticizes himself. Hmm. Like he always, you know, you can read what he said about the communist manifesto. Right, you can read what he said about like the things that he no longer agrees with. Yeah, and he never completes any of his completed any of his stuff. Hmm. Like Capital, he I think the plan was for like eight volumes. Wow, he the only the first one was published and it's like a thousand pages. Yeah. right. The second and third one were kind of like gathered together by angles. Yeah, right, and and then the third one and then there's like one that uh, I think there was like the wage and surplus theory of value, but. You know, you can even read his note, notebook. What I'm, I'm right now reading his note, note, his notebook. It's called the Grundrisse. I'm reading it along with like just like an online, yeah, uh, just casual it, stuff. Yeah, and it, well, it's where he lays out like what he's what he wants to do, and he doesn't do any of yeah. it. Or like you know, he doesn't get to like he will go kind of okay, then we'll go this and this and this. And you're obviously like this guy just did not have enough time. It's like Sufjan saying he's going to make an album for every state. for every state, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, so another thing that I, I think you. This might kind of like Marx is never about dogma. He's never dogmatic. Mm. He's, Marxism is a method. Yeah, it's a method of thinking. That's really good. Uh, which we can get into. Uh, we, this would be like dialectics. What yeah. means by science? How is it different from like what he would you know bourgeois science? But it's it's or it's um, he is always he would probably always be the first to criticize himself. Mm. I like that. Right? And if you read his writings, you can sort of like see like that he is always kind of 
the way he thinks, it's always kind of like, if we assume this, then we can think about this. But if we assume this, this will be different. It's, it's, it's a whole thing. You know, if we're doing segments, this is sort of in the realm of ruination, but maybe, maybe for the uh, little season, it can be uh, Marxism with Reuven segment. <laughs> and we can just take a little piece of Marxism and deep dive. Yeah. Yeah. Die hard in the house. Yeah. Well, I do. I do. This is part of my job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing about Indonesian, modern Indonesian literature yeah. through the lens of Marxism, which means that my book will never be read in Indonesia. It'll be read like underground or something. <laughs> and I will never be able to teach there because if I don't want to get arrested by the police or something. Wow. Yeah, so, well, you know, we listened to this Vanessa Williams song, Save the Best for Last. And I guess that's what we did, everybody. What if Re- this, Reuven, what if this the recording like, becomes like, like evidence at a trial? It will, yeah. We'll bring <laughs> yeah, it back. A small, small thing. He's clearly mocking these Indonesian state off officials. <laughs> at the hour story. 50 mark, yeah. Reuven. <laughs> he <laughs> says. says he's a communist. <laughs> okay, it would be so funny. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We don't know where our topic is going to be next week. Uh, we think we might talk about being cool, what cool means. Maybe. We'll see. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our lovely guest this week, Reuven. Um, See you next week, everybody. See ya.